Welcome to Haunted Happy Hour, a podcast dedicated to uncorking chilling conversations about the history, hauntings, and lore throughout our hometowns and across the Midwest. Thanks for joining us for our first season, The Dark Origins of the Quad Cities, which will delve into the rich historic backdrop centered around various criminal and outrageous events surrounding the evolution, foundation, and formative years of the Quad Cities area. We have a long road ahead of us this season, full of supernatural exploration that serves both believers and non-believers alike. So sit back, grab a cocktail, and let us introduce you to the history, mayhem, hauntings, and spirits of the dark origins of the Quad Cities. Colonel George Davenport, an English-born settler, came to land in the U.S. in 1804. After spending some time on the East Coast, he made his way to the Midwest and settled along the Upper Mississippi, eventually making his home on what is now the Rock Island Arsenal. Throughout much of his life, George was active in building up the early settlements along the Mississippi Valley, which included the Quad Cities. He was known as a sailor, frontiersman, fur trader, merchant, postmaster, soldier, and one of Rock Island, Illinois' earliest settlers. With all of the experience he gained in life via the army, exploration, and business, George came to serve as an influential person to the Quad Cities area. However, on July 4th, 1845, things would take a shockingly unlikely turn for George. Colonel George Davenport was born John King in Lincolnshire, England in 1783 to farmer Joseph King and his wife, Amy Tyson. While we know the year he was born, an actual birth date has proven difficult to track down. Additionally, for reasons not completely known, John King would later change his name upon arriving to the U.S. to George William King, and then to Colonel George Davenport. Some say it was simply because he wanted to start a new life. Others say he wanted to enlist in the army under an assumed name as was common back then. And a few even say he was trying to run away from something in his past. But whatever the case may be, it's safe to say no one will ever really know for certain. During the time of George's grammar school days, he attended school until he became a tailor's apprentice around the age of 12. Due to the economic hardships facing many in late 18th century England, Apprenticeships were the way to go for anyone looking to better the situations of their children's future. With all of the civil unrest in the area, George never completed his apprenticeship as a tailor. Threats of invasion because of the Napoleonic Wars had a great effect on his future plans. George's father thought it best to place the then 17-year-old in the care of his uncle, a merchant captain, 
for whom he could also be an apprentice. He would eventually set out to sea, learning the trade, transporting cargo to various ports throughout the Baltic and Mediterranean, in hopes of one day rising to the ranks to command his own ship. According to record, George spent four years at sea gaining a key understanding of the importing and exporting of goods, which would later come in handy for the future namesake of Davenport, Iowa. In the early 1800s, upon docking his ship in St. Petersburg, with the Napoleonic War still ongoing, an embargo was carried out on all English ships in any Russian ports. Because of this, the government seized all ships, provisions, and crew members. George was held captive and imprisoned for the entire winter. He was finally released that following spring with the rest of the English crews. The following summer would bring George to the U.S., where an accident would cause him to leave behind the sea life, finally put down his roots, and spend the remainder of his life. George arrived in New York Harbor in 1804. Stories say that as the ship's cargo was being unloaded, another crew member had fallen overboard, and George, without hesitancy, jumped in to save him. The heroic rescue left George with a broken leg, and without a ship doctor on board to care for his injuries, meant George had to stay behind in a New York City hospital to recuperate. Once released from hospital care, he traveled to New Jersey and spent some time in the area. At some point during this time, he encountered an army recruiter who enlists George in the United States Army. Upon enlisting on October 23, 1805, at the age of 21, George changed his name to George Davenport. As an immigrant, George knew the hardships of coming to a new world all too well. And for him, the Army provided steady work, a home, and a sense of belonging. Over the next few years, he rose to the ranks of Army Sergeant and would come to explore many different areas across the U.S. between the Atlantic and the Mississippi, including a great amount of undeveloped land in the upper Mississippi Valley. His Army career would have George take part in various expeditions and events including the War of 1812 and the tail end of the Peoria War, where he would serve as an escort for the 13 tribal chiefs attending the Potawatomi Peace Delegation in St. Louis for the signing of the treaty. Only the Sauk and Meskwaki tribal groups refused to sign the peace treaty at St. Louis that year. Some say it was because of this that delegation commissioners and the government decided to set the wheels in motion for the process of building a fort near the Sauk villages to one day more easily overtake them. The fort, that would be located in what is now Rock Island, Illinois, was positioned strategically just three miles from Sauk the Sauk's main village. It would be named Fort Armstrong and would remain in use until 1836 as a part of a system of three forts along the Mississippi. After George was discharged from the army, 
and with the creation of Fort Armstrong, George signed on to make this his next assignment and become an army supplier running supplies up to the fort from St. Louis. Before beginning his assignment though, George took a trip to Cincinnati, Ohio, where he met a widow by the name of Margaret Bowling Lewis. After a brief courtship, the two were married and George then moved his new wife and her two children from Cincinnati to Fort Armstrong. The log cabin home that George and his family would move into was the first permanent residence built in Rock Island, Illinois by a white settler. Over time and due to his position, George developed a relationship with the tribes of the area, further preparing him to get deeper into the native trade business. By around 1819, due to a restructuring in the army supply system, George would leave his position as an army supplier and eventually move into working as what they then called an Indian agent. During this time in our history, Indian agents were used to essentially maintain good relations between the U.S. and the tribal nations. Even after George's army supply contract with the government ended, he was still able to somehow continue working as an independent merchant for some time, heading the store-keeping activities at the post store near Fort Armstrong. In what was at the time a remote location, George's store supplied the area's soldiers with the goods like coffee, tea, tobacco, and wine. Although George was able to supply a variety of goods to the area due to a predominantly on-credit payment system, it unfortunately wasn't a steady source of income. Having now a family to support, George made the decision to move full-time into the native trade business. With his intention to remain in Rock Island, George received permission from the government to build a new home for his family. It's not quite sure how George was able to get the permission to build his home so close to Army territory on what is now Arsenal Island. But there is speculation that since the government was so desperate to gain the natives' trust and friendship, they figured they could make this happen through the business of trade. And since George already had a growing relationship with the native tribes, in their eyes, there wasn't anyone better that could make this happen. From around the mid-1830s to about 1840, George worked as the local Indian agent and as a fur trading agent. During the Black Hawk War, due to his established loyalties to the United States and work alongside the local military, he was appointed quartermaster, which is a senior soldier who supervises stores and distributes supplies with the honorary rank of colonel. After the war, with the growth of local settlements proving positive, Colonel Davenport met with six men, including Antoine Leclerc, an old friend he knew from his days at Fort Armstrong. The seven men decided to develop on a large stretch of land right across the river from what was then called Stevenson, which is present-day Rock Island. 
They formed a company to begin the development of building a new town, which would eventually become Davenport, Iowa. Around 1842, after many years of being a sailor, a soldier, an explorer, a merchant, a fur trader, and a city planner, Colonel George Davenport officially retired. He would find himself spending his retired years traveling between his Rock Island estate and St. Louis, Missouri on his personal boat. On July 4, 1845, the Davenport family had gone into town for the big Independence Day celebration. However, George decided to stay behind at home, a decision that would forever leave behind a haunting reminder of George's final moments throughout the once quiet Davenport home. Now, there are various iterations of what exactly went on that afternoon of July 4th, 1845. Different stories have different details. One of the most popular accounts states that George was feeling a little unwell and run down that afternoon. Not wanting to spoil the fun of the day's celebration for the rest of the family, he told them to go on to the festivities without him. He had hoped a quiet, relaxing day at home would help lift his spirits. You see, George was always a man who enjoyed the calming serenity of what he felt only frontier life could bring. What we think of nowadays as a quiet, country atmosphere is exactly what George loved about his home. It was slightly farther out from the city center and away from the bustling movement that was gradually taking over the region. The peaceful, warm July fresh air was all that George was hoping for that day. At some point that afternoon, after 1 p.m., George retrieved a pitcher of water. As he set it down, he heard a noise coming from the other room. Something had fallen. Thinking he would go pick up whatever it was, he got up and walked into the room, only to be met with the shadows of strangers. The strangers, an outlaw gang consisting of a group of men known as the Banditi of the Prairie, had broken into the Davenport home. With it being the 4th of July, and Independence Day celebrations happening everywhere throughout the city and across the river, they figured the house would be empty. Unfortunately for George, that wasn't the case. Shocked to see George walk in on them, it's said that the men let out a shot of gunfire, striking George in the thigh. As George tried desperately to get his hands on anything to use as a form of defense against these intruders, the men proceeded to jump him, beat him, and tie him up. According to the book Murder and Mayhem in Scott County, author John Brasser Jr. goes on to say, The men dragged the wounded colonel to his safe and demanded that he open it. Davenport's captors eagerly looked on as one of them reached in and took out $400. To Davenport's surprise, the men grew angry. They demanded to know 
where the rest of the money was. But he insisted that was all that was in the house. The reactions of the men here can be attributed to a rumor that was actually going around at the time. It was said that the well-to-do Colonel George Davenport kept $20,000 in his mansion safe, and this is what the bandits were after. When all they found was about $400 in the safe, the bandits severely beat 62-year-old George Davenport and left him for dead. Laying on the floor of his home, unable to move, bloodied, and in severe pain, all George could do was yell out for help in the hopes that someone would hear him. Though his home was a little more removed than most, he still had regular passers-by. And on that warm July 4th afternoon, two fishermen happened to be walking by on their way to the river, blissfully unaware of what they would soon find. As they moved closer to the Davenport home, they heard the faint cries for help. Realizing where it was coming from, they ran into the home to see what was the matter. Upon entering the home, they were met with the sight of George, badly beaten and clinging to life. One of the men quickly ran for help and brought back a doctor to try to help the dying colonel. Despite the fact that the doctor couldn't do anything to save one of the area's most influential frontiersmen, George managed to hold on long enough to describe his assailants. That evening, Colonel George Davenport died in his home. He was buried the following day on the land just a few feet from his home on Arsenal Island by ceremony attended by the nearby Fox tribe. The colonel's body would later be dug up and moved to its now resting place in Rock Island's Chapayanock Cemetery. With the description of the bandits that George was able to give, amateur detective and bounty hunter Edward Bonney volunteered to track down and arrest the gang. In all, eight suspects were brought to justice for the murder of Colonel George Davenport. Only five of the eight men were actually charged with the murder of Davenport. John Baxter, John Long, Aaron Long, Granville Young, and William Fox. John Baxter appealed his sentence twice and managed to have his initial death sentence commuted to life in prison. John Long and Granville Young were hanged. Aaron Long was actually hung twice. The rope tied around Long's neck snapped the first time when the force of his body dropped through the platform, causing him to fall heavily upon the boards beneath the gallows. Weak and bloody, he was led back up the scaffolding to meet his fate once more and for the final time. Three of the other men, Robert Birch, William Fox, and William Redden, were charged as accessories to murder. William Redden served the entirety of his one-year sentence. William Fox managed to escape before his official sentencing hearing and was never seen again. Robert Birch was sentenced to life, but in 1847, through his either outside help or bribery, he broke out of the Knoxville, Illinois jail and disappeared by heading out west. 
the final of the eight men apprehended, Grant Redden somehow had his charges against him dropped. On October 19, 1845, the day of the long and young dramatic hanging, John Long addressed the crowd and admitted to committing the horrible murder. Historian Dr. Roald Tweet told NPR, John Long was hardly your average citizen. It took him two hours to murder Colonel George Davenport, two months and 23 days to be tracked down and captured, two days to be tried in Rock Island District Court, one hour to be convicted of murder by a jury, one minute to be hanged, and 133 years to be buried. The bodies of the three men that were hanged, Granville Young, Aaron Long, and John Long, were donated to local doctors for the purpose of scientific study. Granville Young's body was given to a doctor in St. Louis. It's believed that Aaron Long's body was buried, but it's not known exactly where or when. The body of John Long, however, was given to Colonel Davenport's personal physician, Dr. Patrick Gregg. It's known that for several decades, while in Dr. Gregg's possession, the skeleton hung on display in the hospital office at the Rock Island Arsenal. Mysteriously, though, after Dr. Gregg's death, it disappeared from the island. Years later, the Rock Island Historical Society received a delivery, a trunk addressed from Dr. Charles Kalki of Chicago. When they opened the trunk, they found the missing skeleton of John Long. A letter enclosed with the trunk explained that the skeleton had made its way into his possession after Dr. Gregg's widow passed it on to him after the doctor's death. After having the skeleton in storage for years, Dr. Kalki's team decided to return it to Rock Island. Upon receiving the skeleton, the Rock Island Historical Society opted to have it displayed in the lobby of the Rock Island Courthouse. Sometime later, the skeleton was moved over to the Hauberg Museum in Rock Island. In 1978, 133 years after his death, John Long was finally buried at Rock Island's Dixon Cemetery in an unmarked grave. Whatever the exact details of this infamous murder were, the events of that Midwestern summer afternoon would surely leave an imprint. Because like we've said before, it all comes back to the history that was left behind. That history leaves an impression. Over the years, Many questions have come to surface about the Colonel's shockingly notorious murder. One of them, of course, being, is the Colonel Davenport home haunted? With all of the traumatic events that unfolded that July 4th afternoon, the shooting, beating, and ultimate murder of the Colonel in the home, it may seem to many that this could indeed give rise to some sort of activity. It's well known that spirits sometimes remain tied 
to specific locations after the result of a traumatic event, like murder. The Colonel Davenport House has been host to various paranormal teams from the Quad Cities and surrounding areas, conducting investigations hoping to make contact with the spirits they believe are still haunting the walls of this once glorious mansion. Many have stated over the years multiple experiences they've encountered over the course of their investigations. Though not much has actually been documented about the home's spirit activity, it's a well-known topic in the area, as well as throughout the local paranormal community. Now that you know the story, what do you think? You be the judge. Thanks for joining us on the Haunted Happy Hour podcast, the podcast where we uncork chilling conversations about the history and hauntings throughout our hometowns and across the Midwest. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 2, Crime on the Island. I'm your host, Lily, and of course with me is my co-host, Vanessa. And as we do on this podcast, we'll share our drink feature to kick off our episode's discussion. So with that, Vanessa, what did you bring for us today? So today I have for us a Cody Rolled Barrel Old Fashioned. Fun fact, I chose this one because bourbon was one of the many beverages that were readily available to early Americans in the 19th century. I thought it would be perfect, a good fit considering the era of our story and when it took place. Also, for our listeners that enjoy a good old fashioned, you may want to look into this one because this old fashioned is ready to drink right out of the bottle. That's convenient when you're coming home, um, you're extremely tired after a long day's work. All you have to do is just open up the bottle and it's ready to serve out of your glass of choice. Just so you know, it's already mixed with the bitters and the sugar. So if you want to get really fancy, though, you can garnish it up. Otherwise, go ahead and bottoms up. Um, but also, um, you can enjoy this one. Uh, perfect for home casual events. Um, this one seems like more of a relaxing drink, one that you can just sit home, relax, chill. What do you think, Lily? Yeah, I I think I agree with you. I mean, it's a definite type of, of sipping drink. Uh, again, I'm not a super big whiskey, uh, bourbon type of, of drinker, um, but I can definitely picture myself, you know, coming home pouring myself a glass of this and the fact that it's super that it's already in the bottle itself makes it super easy I don't have to worry about any kind of ingredients um, but yeah just coming home pouring some into a, into a nice glass and kind of just now that it's really great weather outside maybe sitting on the deck and kind of just enjoying this uh, rather slowly for me actually um, you know when I tasted it I could definitely taste the the vanilla the bottle itself says also some caramel notes. I didn't really get any of that caramel, but the vanilla, I definitely got it. It definitely lingered. It was really smooth and kind of just that nice, nice little little bite to it where mm -hmm. it kind of just calms you. It kind of just, you just enjoy it. It's one of those drinks that you just kind of enjoy. Right. And honestly, it's not as strong as what it smells like because initially you kind of, 
like to take that first mm-hmm. whiff, obviously, right. but it just kind of hits you when you're smelling it. But then when you do drink it, it's actually pretty smooth. It's not very strong. So yeah, I give this one two thumbs up. I agree. I agree. And you're right, though, because I did smell it before I poured it. And I was like, oh, my God, I know me, too. <laughs> <laughs> OK, now that we're enjoying our drink, though, let's go ahead and talk about the story. So what do we think? Yeah, um, it's funny how they do say things happen for a reason, don't you think? It made me kind of think about it with this story, because the fact that all the events leading up to the point where he moved, you know, mm-hmm. everything that happened before, you know, mm-hmm. he where he was where he landed and ultimately um moving here and then deciding to build his home establishing roots here um you know just that kind of theme kind of resonates with me that's really what i'm thinking whenever i hear his story Mm -hmm. um and ultimately uh, the biggie having one of the towns of the quad cities named after him right you know what more can you add to that really (laughs) having a town named after you right exactly and it's funny because i i thought the same thing when i guess in in the beginning of, of his story i mean it was honestly because of the fact that he jumped overboard to save that other crew member and you know just by happenstance, there wasn't a, a doctor on board the ship. So he pretty much had to stay behind. You know, if he wanted to get better, if he wanted to get full function of his leg back, he had to stay behind. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. uh, he's here in the U.S. and made his way eventually here to the Quad Cities area. Right. That's crazy. But, yep, all that led to this. And then I know we we touched on, you know, just a little bit in the story itself uh, about the paranormal activity Um, with regards to the Colonel Davenport house in general. Um, But we wanted to leave it more uh, for this this segment of of the show, really, because we had a lot of really good pieces that we wanted to insert and honestly just play for you guys straight out rather than just talking about it. So we're going to go ahead and play for you a clip that showcases Davenport's house with a local news team and also they went along with a paranormal team from our area and they investigated over at the Arsenal Island. So let's listen to that right now. The Rock Island Arsenal. Today it serves as the nation's largest government arsenal. The island dates back to 1809 when it was set aside for a military reservation. Colonel George Davenport put his roots on this island. His house, built in 1833 right along the Mississippi, is our site for this investigation. It's in this bedroom where he met his grisly death. Tour guide Jack Tumbleson. They spent the afternoon torturing him, trying to get him to tell him where the money was. And uh, he kept telling him it's not here. The Mandini of the Prairie were caught later. One member, John Long, was hanged at the Rock Island County Courthouse. His skeleton was later put on display there, and then at the Hauberg Mansion. It wasn't laid to rest until 1978. Our investigation in the bedroom doesn't turn up much. We move to the dining room. Right away, the flashlight turns on by itself. Then, the K2 starts lighting up, seeming to respond to the group's questions. Light it up to yellow if there's more than four, please. Now, the group starts using a Skelter box. According to the app creator, the app has a bank of small bits of the English language. The app alleges spirits are able to piece the sounds together 
to create words to send us messages. Davenport, he was murdered in this house. Colonel Davenport. We ask how many people are in the room with us. Seven. 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 Us five and two of you. Yes. Is the Davenport house home to paranormal activity? Or can it all be explained? In Rock Island, I'm Jenna Jackson. Okay, so now that we heard that clip, what what did you think about it? Well, this was a very good clip just because you can see everybody's point of views coming in and checking out on their own this house. Mm-hmm. So you get the reporter And then you have the investigators, right? The paranormal investigators. So the fact that the two came in together, that was a great idea. I agree. I agree. So that way, you know, everybody can see the everybody's point of view, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the believers and non-believers. But um, I just wanted to point out, they did talk about, um, so energy sources. Um, They talked about the flashlight, um, turning on that was a source of energy that we will actually talk about later on and also the fact that um i wanted to point out too that many paranormal teams have various tools that they use um to communicate with spirits so it's not that they bring in the same equipment all the time depending on that team that's their choice that's their equipment of choice so Whatever they use as a source of communication, like, for example, in this clip, they had like a voice box. Um, They had other things um, to be able to read uh, spirits, energies that weren't in the room. So those were actual examples of what paranormal teams do use. So they don't all use the same thing, but those are just a few samples of those of you that don't know how this all works. That those were some actual things that they do bring on sites um, to investigate. So it just depends on each team and, you know, what their go to is. Right. And you were talking about energy. And I think the thing that really stood out to me um, in that clip was the actual uh, I don't know if they were if they were EVPs or if it was like you said, just coming through on the on the voice box. I don't know if you guys listening could actually hear uh, what was coming through on the uh, on the recordings that they had. But the first one that came out, you know, they they actually they said something and then they asked um, how many people how many people are here? And it was the the number seven came through on on the voice box. And it was five of them that were physically there on location. So then it was it had to have been like two more two two spirits or two two more somethings there right uh for it to, to register as, as seven and that's kind of what they were trying to figure out so i thought that was that was really interesting because to me i'm like who who are these these additional two right who else is there right um also that what came through was the word colonel that one obviously mm-hmm. you're at the colonel davenport house yep. 
So, I mean, whether it was the colonel himself, whether it was these these this this gang of mm-hmm. of strangers the the banditti of the prairie right uh you know referring to the the man that they were there robbing mm-hmm. um kind of with that then uh the word the name john came mm-hmm. through yeah and john long was the name of one of those one of those bandits uh one of the guys that was eventually hung Mm -hmm. and it's that one i think to me just really stood out because come on yeah it's obvious right (laughs) right it's like plain as day right there right and so i mean all of this actually kind of leads into just our story recap in Mm -hmm. general because Mm -hmm. i mean to me in you know, pretty much to everybody, well, everybody who 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 is a believer and who mm-hmm. does understand the paranormal, yeah, there's there's no doubt that there's a lot of spirits and activity in this area. Uh, you know, like we mentioned in the monologue, this used to be all indigenous territory. It's it's where the Sox main village used to be. The the ridge, the the Manitou Ridge where the what is it the chip chip i always i always mess it up chip i chip i would say chipayanak but i don't even know if we're saying it right but let's go with that okay <laughs> so the, i mean where where that cemetery where it's built that ridge in rock island it's named after one of the the Sox spirits and you know on, on top of that the cemetery itself you know it's the very first cemetery ever built in Rock Island, you know, before that cemetery was built, um, well, the first cemetery built for white settlers. Before that cemetery was actually built, all, I guess, people that passed away were buried on Bailey Davenport's property. And so once this uh, new cemetery was built, all of these, you know, it's it's unfortunate to say, but all of these burials were, were disturbed, yeah, to, to pretty much pick them up and move them on over into this new cemetery but all of this is kind of cause for essential activity building up and essentially witnessing all of these different uh spirits all of this different kind of like activity yeah yep because you're disturbing all the spirits exactly exactly and i mean just in general with what we talked about before i think in in the last episode we mentioned elements Mm -hmm. and environmental elements yep so coming back over here to the arsenal fort armstrong was actually built on a bed of limestone and you know so if you're looking at the arsenal just as a whole it's surrounded by water yep like we mentioned before in our last episode and it's there's a lot of limestone underneath there. Mm-hmm. So both are environmental elements that, you know, they say support paranormal activity. Um, I don't know how much you guys out there know about a theory called the stone tape theory, but it essentially suggests that certain elements provide explanation for supernatural phenomenon because these elements almost kind of um, record or store 
these emotional or traumatic events, which is exactly what makes a residual haunting. And then bringing it back full circle to the Colonel Davenport house, that activity that's happening there at the house is residual activity. It's a residual haunting uh, because what they captured here on this clip, on the clip that we played for you, the news clip, is constant types of activity that other other teams and other people that have have been there to kind of witness this activity that's the same kind of stuff that that they're reporting that they that they heard or that they were able to capture and then also with this then we were actually lucky enough Vanessa and I to meet up with Ariel one of the members of the Quad Cities Spirit Realm investigators they are a local paranormal team and she was really great she was able to give us uh, a lot more information on the Colonel Davenport house uh, because they've actually been out there to investigate it. They're going to be planning another investigation here pretty soon. Uh, and so let me just play for you guys here a clip of what Ariel actually had to say about the house. Oh, and actually just a quick note before I play it. Uh, we were actually out meeting with Ariel away from our recording area uh, so you are going to notice that the audio clip isn't as crisp as uh, we usually record here, but hopefully you can still make out what we're talking about. So, I mean, just with regards to the Davenport house in general, how did you actually hear about the house, like about activity? They, in the house? Well, we were doing a, um, it was a tour that one of, well, I can't say we, it was right. a tour that, um, couple other group members had gone on at the Davenport house and they were talking about you know do you know of anything going on here and mm -hmm. of course the ladies like oh, I don't know right you know so she was like well if I wanted to contact somebody to get a hold of to try to investigate the place who I contact get the contact information and we did it we were able to go in there and investigate and gosh we were the first ones to do that yeah wow yeah and that was that honestly we didn't have a lot of equipment at the point in time we had you know little things right because mm -hmm. we were just starting out right yeah. and it was it was interesting i a lot of it was res, you know residual honey i think most of it was okay. residual um but i think the second or third time we went there it was we heard the voice of John Long in one of the recordings. Oh, wow. oh my god! And he was talking about the safe and where's the money and the oh safe gosh. and where's the money. So, and I actually, I wish I still had that recording. Oh, Unfortunately, wow. I don't. I wanted to bring it and I was yeah, looking for it yeah, last night. I couldn't oh, find dang. it anywhere. Yeah. But that would have been perfect to show you guys, wow. and I, I'm sorry. No, no that's okay. Yeah. We believe you. We yes, believe you. It was, it was <laughs> awesome. It was really awesome, and a lot of the times they have me listen to the voice recorders because I don't know what it is. I hear things that nobody else hears. <laughs> Superman hearing is what it is. That's what they say. Uh, every time we go to a place and people are asking about the recordings, yeah. they're like, uh, this the one you need to talk to. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good to have on your team. I know. Yeah. Superman hearing. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, in addition to, to that, the, the John Long recording then, I mean, so is that who you think is still in the house? Or oh, no. Is it's, there... It's... I think that, personally, I think is, it's not just John Long. You yeah. have, you know, the Bandit Prairie mm -hmm. yeah. team mm -hmm. 
coming in and out. Wow. You know, it's not just they're always there. They're not. I see. They're coming in and out. Uh, just like, you know, George Davenport's coming in and out here and there. Wow. It's more like they just come visit, do their thing that they were doing at that point in time, right. and they're gone. And you can understand why John Long and Aaron and, you know, yep. all of them would have that there because, you know, they did something extremely horrible. Right, yes. And it caused their demise. Yeah. So that's going to be traumatic. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have a traumatic situation. They're going to yep. come back. Yeah. Have you captured anything specifically with George on there? No. No. I haven't caught in George. I've caught in John. Mm-hmm. And I swear it was John. It sounded just like, I, I don't know what John sounded like, but, you know, <laughs> a guy saying, hey, where's the safe? Yeah. Where's the safe? Right. You say, hey, is that you, John? Yes. Well, okay, well, that's John. Oh, I'm wow. sorry, you ask. Yeah, is wow. that John? Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, oh, wow. well, that's man, wild. that's crazy. Okay, and so just one one thing that I did want to call out really quick from the clip, in case you didn't hear it, uh, Ariel did mention that when they were out doing the investigation, that they heard plain as day uh, on their recording somebody ask, Where's the safe? And of course, if you remember from the story, that's what the bandits were were pretty much after. That's why they stopped to uh, rob the Colonel Davenport house. They were looking for the money. They were looking for the safe. And just the fact that they captured it there on site during their investigation is another huge, huge piece um, because it goes back to, again, everything that happened, you know, is still kind of dwelling within those walls. I thought that, number one, the whole entire conversation with Ariel was really great. She was able to give us a lot of amazing information, not even just about the house, about this house, Mm -hmm. but about a lot of other things. Yeah, we pretty much picked her brain on a lot of stuff (laughs) that we wanted to know. Right. So, I mean, that other stuff, it'll it'll come out in other episodes, I'm sure. Not right now. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I think that was really valuable just because... It's funny because I made this comment to, to Ariel when, when we were chatting that it seemed when we were doing our research, when Vanessa and I were, were researching the house in general, it was actually very difficult to find documented proof of the activity that's been going on in the house. And it's like we mentioned before, it's a really well-known thing, well-known here in the area, well-known uh, among the paranormal community itself. But for some reason... The documented proof isn't isn't there, mm-hmm. and it's funny because Vanessa, you've actually gone to yeah. tour the house right. before, mm-hmm. and you asked that specific question. What right. what they say? And they said they didn't think so, or you know, they just like hurried up and brushed off away from the topic. Right. So it's I I mean I don't know if this is true, uh, but it just seemed like they were kind of. Not really wanting to be open about it, which I guess I understand because, I mean, you want the public to come in and visit the location for the history that's there for the fact that it's Colonel Davenport's house. And I think that in and of itself is is awesome. But, I mean, you also have this additional piece to it that, I mean, people know about. So, I mean... And people want to know about. Right, exactly. That's also a thing. Because it's interesting. It's right. interesting to know that there's these historic locations that do also provide 
some sort of activity. And I mean, like you saw, well, you didn't see, but like, like you heard right. through the, the, the clips, you know, it isn't anything that's, that's bad. No taboo or right. anything. Nothing that we've never known before. Right. It's all it's all just residual. And, mm-hmm. you know, residual means just recordings and it's just replaying. And it's kind of just replaying what happened, mm-hmm. you know, the, the event that happened. Um, so, I mean, again, thanks so much to Ariel for just taking the time, right. honestly, to, yeah. to chat with us. Um, I feel like she's now kind of our residential, you know, go to our honorary (laughs) HHH member. (laughs) So hopefully more to come from Ariel. Um, But I just kind of wanted to to toss this out there. Um, Part of the prep work, actually, that we do for every episode is, of course, the research and the writing for the story. But we also like to try to visit these places if we can so that we can take it in and experience it for ourselves and also so that we can get some pictures of the locations. I'm sharing this with you guys because Vanessa, who's also the show's photographer, (laughs) you actually had a few, mm, I'm going to say creepy, creepy things happen to you when you went down to get pictures of the cemetery. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we both said, okay, I should go to these two cemeteries in Rock Island, you know, one being where John Long is. Okay, so and then the other one where Colonel Davenport is. Well, I know that obviously, I need to be ready. I need to have, you know, full on battery, everything, all the all the stuff needs to just be ready, because I can't waste time. So um, even in our previous episode, you know, I went took the pictures, everything was great. So you know, I went down to this one, to this cemetery, the Dixon Cemetery. Um, the a- Dixon, that's where uh, John Long is, right? Right. Okay. And that's AKA Pioneer Cemetery. Um, so pretty much, you know, it's actually very, very small, first of all. And it's in a neighborhood. So I never would have thought that either. So it's a tiny little thing. You know, if you really weren't, you know, looking out for it, you would miss it anyway. Because, you know, the gravestones are actually not even there. Um, so that's unfortunate, but I'll get into that in a minute. But, you know, so I looked it up and everything and I expected there to be a sign and, you know, for, you know, who is actually laid to rest there. Right. Um, and so anyway, I went up to the sign, but there was no sign. Well, um, a lady from across the street, she came over and she had all the details. Of course, (laughs) she knew everything that had happened. Well, apparently, because we had previous days like bad winds and such so apparently the wind blew the sign away so that was unfortunate so I really wanted to get a good picture of all the names that were laid to to rest there Mm -hmm. one of them being John Long his name is actually on there so if you were to look this up you could see the sign with his name on there. Uh, okay. Okay. So that's why I knew ahead of time. Because again, like Lily mentioned, we do do our research ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So that's why I knew that sign was there. Well, it's unfortunate. She talked about how the wind blew it away, blah, blah, blah. Went into Did you this... ask her about that then? And she just No, because I actually approached oh. the sign and uh. she saw me just standing there. And she that's when she popped out of nowhere. And I thought, <laughs> hey, where did, the, where did you come from? So she kind of scared ghost, me. Ghost lady. Right. No kidding. So anyway, then she went on the spiel about how, um, yeah, so don't know who this person is, but a local, I don't know, well-known person. I don't know. So she's talking about this person. Right. Okay. A local well-known person or mm-hmm. something took all the gravestones away from the cemetery. So the ones that were marked. 
So apparently she said that he wanted to use them to build a deck. Yeah. Wait, I know. So, You're like wait. shocked. You can't even right now. Yeah. So, so he pulled them all out? So he pulled them because he wanted to build a deck. So he built a deck mm-hmm. at his house with, with these stones. Like tombstones. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so the people, you know, the neighbors were up in arms about it because I, I want to say this lady is part of like some sort of beautification oh, okay. Um, okay. thing there. And she just happens to be a neighbor because she knew like this, all this story mm-hmm. about, you know, who's laid to rest there and where I could find them. And then who, oh, wow. who took this and who did that? And back when they moved in, that's the reason why they wanted to move there was because of the history, actually. Oh, that's what she said. Okay. So anyway, so she she was like, actually, if you want to go talk to him, you can, but you can ask him about, you know. But you'll be walking on tombstones to get to his door. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought, okay, I'm not going to go there. Oh, that's kind of unfortunate, though. Yeah, it is, actually. So when you go in to the actual area itself, I did start walking around. Um. There are stone, a few stones there, but, you know, you can't really read them so how, anyway. how big is the actual cemetery? Not, is, not very big oh. at all. It could be, like, somebody's backyard, honestly. That's the size of and it. And there's not very many tombstones. No. She did know of one that was, I think, something like the very last soldier to have been laid to rest there. And mm-hmm. they did have a nice um, little plaque there and such for um the soldier but wow. other than that it's it's actually kind of sad that's actually really sad i was just about to say that's right. sad right. and well uh, i mean that's pretty much disturbing people's area mm-hmm. where they yeah. they laid to rest right. and i mean obviously i i don't know about this specific cemetery uh, but to me, that sounds like, well, you're kind of paving the way for even more right. activity to right. kind of try to happen here. Exactly. I mean, you just disturb these people. Right. And, who does that? Right. And who knows about the guy that, you oh know, gosh. built his deck. I hope it's awesome, but. It's haunted. Exactly. It's like, I wonder if he has activity oh at his gosh. place. Who knows? But it, this better be an amazing deck. <laughs> oh my gosh. Holy crap. So anyway, um, once I left there, I still had enough battery. You know, so it was perfect. Um, I get up to Chapayanak where I wanted to go look for Colonel Davenport's area. So, um, you know, I approached the area, took some shots. Mm -hmm. Everything was great, you know, at this point. So um, they actually do have a map that you can um, download. Also, if you wanted to go, you can actually do a self-guided tour. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you can download the app as well for that. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so anyway, it's a very nice area. It really is. It's a nice cemetery. So very well kept. Drove up, found, you know, where, uh, Colonel Davenport, um, is. And so got out. Everything was great. Um, so then I started to take shots and then I, you know, after every shot, I kind of look at it. But then when I looked the second time, I was already down to 7%. Mind you, before I even went there, I w- I had like 50 some. Oh, my gosh. And the funny thing is, is for episode one, I went to work. Mm-hmm. My phone, obviously, I text people. Right. I use it for music once in a while. You know, and when I went to go to the sites where I was going to take the shots for episode one, I still had enough battery. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not like my battery life drains quickly. Right. Okay. So the fact that. I went from point A to point B, and at point B, I was down to 7%. Yeah, that's crazy. 
that says something right there. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I was in shock. You know, I just thought this is nuts, right. you know. Well, and that's when you text me. Yeah. And you told me what was going on. And of course, people in the paranormal field, we all know that that's honestly what happens when you're around this kind of spirit activity. It's right. It's well known that spirits mm-hmm. kind of just drain the the energy, the battery of right. You know, if you happen to have a phone, if you happen to right. have a computer, a camera, we've we've heard these stories of all of a sudden uh, full full charge battery and all of a sudden nothing or well, all of a sudden yeah. it shuts off. And all that stuff has happened to us, like photos, mm-hmm. you know, where we've gone on investigations before right. the photos just don't work. Mm-hmm. We have a perfectly working um, camera. Right. And all of a sudden your camera dies for mm-hmm. some weird reason. But then all of a sudden, once you're yep. you're gone, it's like, oh, it's back. it's working just great Mm -hmm. but these drainages this energy drainage that's like some fashion of you know the spirits trying to communicate themselves with you right it's like they're kind of trying to to build up they're they're pulling the energy from what they can so that they can then in turn communicate with you right you know i've seen different kinds of investigations where where people like uh, paranormal teams purposely say, hey, use use my energy, use my energy, pull my energy so that you can focus all of your energy then into what it is that I'm asking you right. to do. And that's like their way of communicating or even manifesting themselves even. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's their attempt to do that, you know, because right. it's not like they're actual human. So they can't just you know, appear out of nowhere like that. Right. So they need all of this in order to be able to communicate, you know. Mm -hmm. So which makes sense. Um, I thought it was really cool. You know, (laughs) honestly, I was like, yes. Yeah. To to be to be fair, I really was hoping that in at any point where I go take pictures, something would happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for for us, this is you know, the point where we're geeking out. Right. Because we're like, oh, my gosh, this is great. I love it. I don't have any more battery. (laughs) So anyway, but yeah, this, I just wanted to, you know, note that because that that's really awesome. And we yeah. did ask Ariel about that. Mm-hmm. And she was able to tell us. Yeah, yeah, she said the same thing. Right. Yeah, that, that's that's typical that happens, you know, whenever you go to any kind of of, of location with activity. Yeah, she she was not surprised one bit. She's like, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So she knew she knew that in that area, obviously, that would happen. So that was pretty interesting. That was awesome. So eventful, eventful visit for you. Very eventful. Very good. That was a great check mark. Gold <laughs> star right there. Loved it. Okay. And just to wrap it up here, um, I just wanted to make a few other points. Um, you actually can go uh, take a tour of the Colonel Davenport house on Arsenal Island. Um, like Lily mentioned before, I have gone. This was years ago. Um, but we did go. We tried. We we did try to take a tour recently, but that's a whole another <laughs> boat. It didn't happen. We'll just say that. We tried uh, just quickly. If you guys do try to take a tour, take a tour. Uh, make sure you leave enough time <laughs> in case you don't already have visitor passes to get onto the onto the island. Uh it is a military base, so of course it, they are gonna do checks. They're, they're gonna shake you down. Uh, but we haven't been there in so long. It's mm-hmm. probably been like what five, six years, seven years. Who knows? Yeah. Um, the last time that we were actually on there, and things have changed. 
uh to say the least so we thought it was going to be the same as last time where they just check your id and you're good to go uh it's not just so you know yep uh you got to go to a whole different place visitor center fill out paperwork take pictures print out badges make sure you look cute before in case you're one of those that needs to look nice for a picture so yeah so like lily said you know make sure you do give yourself enough time for the tour so um, you can look it up if you're interested to take a tour. Um, they have their hours um, or you can call. There's a phone number there that, you know, just to double check, make sure. So um, like like she said, we didn't get our tour, but we did take photos. Very nice. Good condition. The grounds are very well maintained. And when you're there, you can actually really take in why the colonel did set up shop there. I mean, it. It's like amazing. And let me just add really quick that that house that you're going to see, that double log cabin home is the one that George actually built in 1833. That's the one that's still standing today. Um, But of course, they made a couple of additions on the sides, but pretty much the structure right in the middle is the original log cabin home from 1833. Surprise, surprise. You'll see an air conditioner. Oops. (laughs) That wasn't around back then. But, you know, for the tour tour's sake, you know, people need to be right. air conditioned nowadays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, like Lily mentioned, the 1833 part, I want to I want to tell you, he did add a lot of detail and love to his house. If you ever go and check it out, because the 1833 point does stand out and you can see it at his house like it's part of the de- decor there. The house itself, he um really took a lot of detail and consideration. He put 1833 and a lot of the little moldings and decor um, features of the house. So mm-hmm. it's really nice. You know, you take in everything. The water is right there. You're in a little private secluded area. So you have to think back then, you know, just ignore the housing around there on Arsenal Island. But picture back the way that the colonel would have seen it. You see the water. And if you take a look across um because that's Mississippi River, you take a look across and you already see Iowa. Right. So you see Davenport, Iowa across because the arsenal, again, is in Illinois. Mm -hmm. We did talk to a few of the tour guides that were there when we got there a little late. They were already closing it up, but they're very nice, very nice people. It seems like they're very happy, you know, and eager to, you know, tell their story. Right. So, again, if you guys are interested in taking a tour, it's the... Just go to go to the uh, DavenportHouse.org. It's actually run by the Davenport Historical Foundation. Uh, you look up their hours, give them a call. Uh, really, it's just show up between the hours that they're open. Go into the little store there and they can uh, just sign you up for the tour. And there's a little uh, tour guide that comes by and just pretty much picks you up and just walks you through the house. But before we close this up, I just wanted to give a very special Haunted Happy Hour thank you to Ariel from the Quad City Spirit Realm Investigators. They are a local paranormal team right here out of the Quad Cities, and they investigate private residences, businesses, and as we've heard here, historic sites. So if you're somebody who's in need of their services, knows somebody who is, or really just want to follow a really great local paranormal team, Go ahead and check them out on Facebook. They're always posting some really great content from investigations that they're conducting. Uh, look them up. It's Quad City Spirit Realm Investigators or QCSRI. 
And with that, you can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Haunted Happy Hour Podcast, and there you'll find that we post episode teasers, photos that go along with our episodes, and bonus content that we don't always get to on the show. Plus, don't forget to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, Stitcher, or Anchor. And if you have Echo devices, an easy way to listen is just say, Alexa, play Haunted Happy Hour podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Catch us next time for another chillingly uncorked conversation right here on Haunted Happy Hour podcast. Cheers. Cheers.